0: I am related to Keith Sweat, though. That's really random. Keith Sweat, the, like, 90s RB singer. What Who song can love you like me? Nobody.
1: It's been a long time coming. The tide is turning. We tired of running.
0: We rising up. It's been a long time coming. They proud of certain. Shake off that burden.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Raj Nation Innovations Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, a.k.a. The Raj Nation. I am your show's host. I'm the founder of Raj Nation Innovation, also a hip-hop artist and a yoga instructor. Above all else, I am a storyteller. I am joined by my co-host, Victoria Cohen, a.k.a. VC Money. Victoria is the voice behind the blog, almondsandasana.com. She is also a yoga instructor, a health, wellness, and fitness enthusiast. Above all else, she is an activist. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, founders, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. We are at our season seven finale, folks. That's right. This is the season finale, and I could not be more excited than our guest for this one, who I joked with her before we started recording. Her name is Avrielle Epps, and I told her she is the most prolific guest we have ever had on this show. Her resume is quite impressive. Avrielle is a critically acclaimed R&B artist, including doing a track on the Grand Theft Auto soundtrack alongside other artists Action Bronson, Earl Sweatshirt, and more. She's even garnered the attention of Jay-Z's Life & Times magazine. She's more than that, though. She also is the founder of education tech startup Seek You and currently entering a Ph.D. program at Harvard University. Yes, she does it all. And I am so excited to have this conversation with her, considering the work she's done in her studies and in her PhD program coming up now. We asked the question, how does your identity impact your experience? Before we dive in, quick reminder and invitation. Join our tribe over at www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com Enter your email there and join our tribe You will never miss another episode of the show Every Monday, getting an email in your inbox When we release that week's episode Alright, let's dive in now to our conversation with Avriel Epps To close out Season 7 How does your identity impact your experience? Let's listen in
0: I think about identity all the time. Um I'm so ever since I was been little I've I've been an artist and I think the work of an artist is to really do a lot of deep exploration and so that ends up Causing you to think about like what's important to you, uh, why other people treat you the way they treat you, why you treat other people the way you treat them, and that's really like the basis of good storytelling or human-centered storytelling. Um, and then, you know, being an artist and navigating creative industries as a kid and as a teenager really forced me to look at the way other people view me based on like. My, my physical identity, being a woman of color, um, being a certain age, being tall and thin or whatever those things are that people like identify um, me as and then ascribe certain stereotypes to. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was actually really frustrating to me as a kid. And when I got to college, I had an opportunity to start to understand on a macro level how identity works and how there are systems in place in our society to influence the way people navigate the world based on their identity. Um, And I started doing research in that area, started writing more music that like further explores that and and started to develop a passion to help students, high schoolers really understand their identities and be critical of identity and like not take these social constructs that we, assume are real like race and gender, sexuality, all these like things that humans have made up and decide to believe in and like really uh, critique them and not take them at face value and, and not let them limit what each individual student is capable of achieving in their lives too. So, I yeah, I mean, identity just like influences people on, on a lot of different levels. I think as a woman of color, I think about it a lot more because people see my race and gender before they see me as a human being. But that that might be the case for every single person in in America, maybe even in the world. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about.
1: The So that last line you said there, I'm a woman of color and people see me as that before they, you know, get to know who I am or see me as a person. Can you talk through like, some of the kind of barriers or struggles you went like some of the specific or struggles or experiences yeah you had like with that kind of being the forefront of like oh woman and person of color before person
0: yeah um man as as little i mean it, there's so many examples where do i start <laughs> um I don't know you if that's know that's or bad
1: that's probably bad right it, so i mean yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think the earliest memories I have of it really feeling like a hindrance to me, not necessarily like, Oh, people, people notice that this is something about me, but it's actually like keeping me from an opportunity is when I was modeling and acting as a teenager. Or as like a preteen. Um, and my, like I had a runway agent who sent me out on a lot of like high fashion runway stuff. And that was perfectly fine. But then I also had a print agent. And so um, he was convinced that I didn't have a specific look to be a um to work for certain clients and he like refused to send me out for jobs and um it came down to this idea that like black models at that time at least the trend was black models that were working ha- were had really strong african features and um and somebody with like i guess less african features i don't even know how to how to phrase that um uh, is like more commercial And like less appealing, you out for like lower paying jobs or less prestigious jobs, Um, and so that was really frustrating. But then I, um, when I got signed to my first record deal, and when I was seventeen, it was like in an imprint label under a major label. Um, And I remember I was making really experimental pop music, Um, and it was I I wanted to make things that were. I don't know what we what we associate with like alt R&B today but it was like 2006 or 7 and it that wasn't that wasn't like a trend in music yet and um I remember all the label executives telling me that like I should go more in the direction of Alicia Keys and the only thing the only reason I could like justify that in my head was like, well, I guess I'm like light skinned and I've got curly hair and I sing and play the piano. So like they see me in this specific lane or this role that I should be in. I'm not sure. And then it got really blatant when they were telling me to do features on like rap artists. And I wasn't, I wasn't even like doing any kind of urban music at the time. It didn't make sense. It was like, okay, well I'm black. So then they're putting me in this like urban music box and telling me I have to follow this specific, um, Pathway to success that they have that they think works. Um, but I mean, you know, as an adult, it impacts me in all kinds of ways. We know that there are only, I think, 12 black women who've ever raised more than a million dollars in venture capital funding, um, only four that have raised over five million dollars. And so I, I take that with me anytime I go and meet with an investor for my startup. Um, we know that um there's housing discrimination is real and, and so whenever i'm negotiating a lease for an office space or something like that i'm I, you know i'm cognizant of the discrimination that people have have faced for you know, decades or centuries at this point, um, sorry, decades. But, uh, yeah, there, I mean, there are a lot of different things that you have to think about is not even necessarily blatant stuff, but, um, just being mindful of ways that discrimination has been used against people like you in the past and like being hypervigilant and making sure that you're not falling prey to those same things.
1: The, the the Alicia Keys point, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) I was like, before you even said the only reason I could think of, I was like, I was like, "Oh, cuz she's light-skinned and has, has similar hair."
0: <laughs> exactly. It didn't make any sense. So, so the reality
1: is for you, whereas Alicia Keys said, "No one, no one can get in the way of what I'm feeling." For you, someone, someone did get in the way of what you were feeling. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and the, the point about being put put as a guest uh, or as a feature on rap songs, that's another interesting one too for the fact that like I've always I've always Taken note that whenever you hear a non-rap, popular-esque song by a black artist, it's du- it's under the R&B genre. Right, but it's like it's it's like if, if if like Britney Spears or someone had come out with the same song, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be R and B. It would be pop. You know, exactly. Like even like I think like Destiny's Child was considered R and B in the late '90s, early 2000s.
0: Yep, interesting. Yeah, definitely
1: So it's like It's creating these categorical it's Creating these categories and, cre- and putting these boxes around things Not necessarily for Like For the reasons they were intended to Because obviously you have to like Just in that example You have to create categories of music But it's, it's less about like What does the music sound like And more about What does the person doing this music look like
2: Well, do you experience that, Raj As an Indian rapper? Uh, I feel like Maybe,
1: well, or just people what, being in terms surprised. Of, well, they're more so. Like surprised. it's just, it,
2: like it's an interesting combination. Yes, and so I feel like people probably judge that. So
1: I have a line in one of my songs I did a couple years ago, um, where I say,
2: "I am kicking balls <laughs> like you thinking this is
1: soccer. You brown and you rap—that's cool. awkward, phonetic. Why you ain't a doctor? My brother did that. I took a gamble on a proctor."
0: That was hilarious. <laughs> and that's that's sort
1: of like a lot of the responses I've gotten uh over time. Uh and but I will say it it changed it it changed over time to the point where it was just like who were the other people that were in my circles? Cuz it went from like, "Oh, you're brown and you rap, like you can't do that. That's weird." to "Wait, how can I hear your music?" Mm-hmm. And that just happened with like being around more art, artistic types right. who are who look like, you know, anyone. Right. Um and then in the business world now with entrepreneurship like everyone's like floored when I tell them that part and they're like wait what that's so cool Mm -hmm. and I recently I recently decided one of my new projects is going to be an album about raising venture capital
0: amazing (laughs) (laughs) amazing I want to listen to that (laughs) drop some major keys please yeah
1: totally (laughs) totally so um yeah so I think I think some of the, the The premises, the premises that are coming out of this is this idea that like, you know, what you look like precedes how you may actually act or talk or be, and 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 it's, it's even deeper rooted than like just the, the things of okay, maybe only thirteen black women have raised more than a million dollars. It's like there are certain things that prevent people from getting a seat at the table, even or getting into the conversation. It's because it's not like. You know, and that, that's a that's, a, I guess, a more, quote unquote, like, lucrative example, raising a million dollars. But if you even take it many steps behind that and look at there was someone did this experiment a few years ago where he sent out a bunch of job applications or sent out a bunch of resumes and he had a Hispanic name. Yep. And he only got like one mm-hmm. callback and then he sent out the same resume and changed the name to like a generic like John Smith or something like that. And he got called yeah and it's that's those d- kinds that's of like, things.
0: Yeah, that's really well documented in the literature, too. It's, it goes beyond just that single experiment. And even... So I, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, go right, ahead. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, and even like J.K. Rowling <laughs> was denied yeah. by dozens of publishers first, and they had told her that you should use... the, the First off, they all said no one's going to want to read a woman's writing. Like, bo- like young boys don't want to read a woman's writing. And then even the publisher that did bite on her, which Bloomsbury, I think it is. I mean, then they've, they've made bank since then, obviously. They got a roller coaster out of it, <laughs> a theme park. But they told her, what is it, Joanne something Rowling is her name. And they said, use your initials so it's not obvious that you're female.
0: Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like obviously these individual acts of, of prejudice or discrimination are important to look at. But then you have to take a step back and look at like systems that are in place that as long as nobody is like actively critiquing those systems and just going along with the flow, these, these differences or these disparities will persist. So like, you know, the venture capital for black women is an important is important because obviously there's prejudice and bias involved in like the investors themselves. But beyond that, it's also like, um, you know, networks, how, what, what, who investors have access to, what entrepreneurs investors have access to in terms of deal flow. And like, if there aren't a lot of people of color or women in your network, you're not going to see those deals come through. Um, and, and then also, you know, women or whoever's getting access to the jobs that, allow people to have confidence to start tech companies or high growth companies. I mean, what we know about those women is that majority of them worked at tech companies before that. And, uh, so it's, and that, and that goes back to like educational opportunities and there's a ton of systemic issues in education that keep, um, that make these disparities persist. So, yeah, I think it goes beyond like people seeing you and then only seeing your, you know, your race, your gender or whatever first, but it also is has a lot to do with like systems that have been in place for centuries in this country.
2: So I think one thing that like I've noticed lately being a yoga teacher and being in like the fitness world, um, not necessarily gender or race, but like physique and Ah yeah, body type. Yeah, body type. So one, like I've definitely noticed people like, you know, coming into my classes and kind of giving me that up and down of like, you know, like, is she in shape? Like, it, like, you know, what could she really tell me what to do? You know, like they kind of, they give you a certain look. Um, and then like recently a teacher that we teach with, and I know she meant this in like the sweetest way and I didn't take it in any sort of bad way, but it's just interesting. She was like, Victoria, if there was, you know, a yoga teacher, you know, if, if you looked up yoga teacher in the dictionary, I think you would show up right next to it. Like you just look like a yoga teacher. And I'm like, <laughs> really? Like, I don't feel like I'm, like, hippie enough to look like a yoga teacher. I'm like, I wonder what in her mind, like, a yoga teacher looks like. You know, what? so it was just funny. Like, and, it got, and it got me thinking, like, just about how we judge people From their physical appearance, even if it's not necessarily race or gender, but just, you know, their body shape and their body type and whether they look like they exercise or not or, you know, whatever it might be. And then, you know, determining if we think they're qualified to guide us in some way. And and so that's just an interesting one I've, I've kind of felt for the first time.
0: Recently. Yeah. Well, the irony with that is, like, when we think of yoga teacher in a Western context, we don't think of an um, um, Indian man. Like, which, totally, which is, is no, like exactly right. that, what they and are. And that's what I am, and, <laughs> yeah. and I am a yoga teacher, and,
1: and I'm in I'm in the minority like, of
2: the yoga teachers. And you're like, I'm the OG. <laughs> yogi. Yeah, they were exactly. All like me. <laughs> exactly
0: it's like the, the cultural appropriation and the whitewashing of yoga is also really an interesting it thing because like yeah we don't we don't really critique that at all
2: right I totally <laughs> could have told her like actually it should be an Indian man yeah in oh and, and, and
1: I'll now. tell you like I'll have times where I'm like in some in some like random classes where the teacher will go off on this like I don't know this this whatever Hindu philosophy concept I'm just like bitch like get off your high horse like it's not what the, that's not what this is about <laughs> so funny <laughs> so funny. Uh, <laughs> I love it. But I, I have noticed, I'm like... And it, it actually works to my advantage. So this is interesting, right? Because in the yoga... In the, the, the world of yoga teachers, me, as a, Indian, as a straight Indian man, I am a very, very, very small percent of the overall yoga teachers. So it actually makes me almost... Um, not almost. I think it does. It makes me... A unicorn? Yes. <laughs> a, yeah. A unicorn of sorts. Um, but more attractive to be hired by a studio because huh. i am in that small percent like like first off there are not a whole lot of straight male yoga teachers and then be, one layer beneath that is there are like hardly any indian straight male yoga indian male not any straight male yoga teachers it's like it's so edged. like i think it's like in a world where there's okay if you're the definition of, of, of yeah. yoga teacher victoria a where there's girl? Where there's a hundred Victorias, mm-hmm. there's, there's only one Raj in that yeah. world. Yeah. And so it's like the appropriation works right. in my advantage.
2: Well, that's like, it's, it's, and, and, I, and I thought They're about tokenizing this. You. I, and I thought about this too, because like, so I studied engineering in college. And when I was looking at colleges, they were all offering like, you know, scholarships and and discounts and like, even just like, it, it was like, a discount of like, apply, you know, it's like 50 bucks or 100 bucks to apply, but it was like less if you applied to engineering as a girl because they just wanted mm-hmm. to encourage girls to. So, in, 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 it's interesting because while sometimes we think it's a disadvantage to be a quote unquote minority in whatever field you're in, sometimes it can also be an advantage yes. nowadays when so many companies are looking, companies or studios, whatever, are looking for diversity, whether that's Male, female, race, whatever it is, that sometimes if you're the unicorn, (laughs) it can be helpful.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hear that argument a lot, and I think the one thing you have to just like remind yourself of is like, why do those programs exist in the first place? Oh, yes. right. Absolutely. Like, they wouldn't exist if there wasn't a, an, an issue, issue of presentation. And totally. so like, it's not really an advantage, like the, it's still a net negative when you look at the fact that like there yeah. aren't a lot of women engineers, oh, and yeah, like absolutely. it's an advantage for the individuals who are trying to um, solve that problem. And that's, I think those people should get compensated for that. Like if you're going to be the only girl in an engineering program and you're going to, or, you know, one of a few girls in an engineering program, that's going to be a difficult uh, space for you to navigate. And Mm -hmm. like, you should get help to do that, you know, or you should get incentives to do that.
1: Well, and that that kind of reminds me of, so like in that instance, like if you're the only girl, say in an engineering field, it's like your. Your experience is you're not going to have the normative experience, hence why you know there maybe it should be something that that supports you through that. But that kind of reminds me of these instances I see all the time where, and I don't know if you've faced this, Avriel because you're in you're in the subject group I'm about to talk about, so they probably wouldn't say it in front of you. Uh,
3: okay.
1: Is so the I, I had another lyric about this in a, in a song I did, and it was. uh, Black people hang out here, it's fucking ghetto. But white people hang out there, fuck it, let's go. And mm-hmm. the, the basis behind that was the number of times I have been with people who, like, we will, maybe I'll say I'll suggest going somewhere, or, and they'll be like, nah, no, that part's ghetto. Or, like, we'll drive past something, oh, like, like that's ghetto right there. And mm-hmm. really what they're saying is there's a congregation of people who don't look like me, therefore, it is ghetto. Mm. And yeah. I've even had... You know, and it's not like it's this overt, like racist thing, right? It's more of like the subtle, not aware of your own bias type of thing. And right. I've even had like, you know, like friends of mine who are amazing people. Right. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, I went to this event. I was the only white guy there. It was so uncomfortable. And I'll have to be like, how do you think I feel when <laughs> yeah. I go anywhere?
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. Although I mean, like, because that's what I grew up in, I do feel comfortable. That's kind of like the point I'm trying to bring up. And and I, has that ever happened to you? Like, like the the quote unquote like the ghetto comment. Have you been around when oh, that's happened?
0: Heck yeah! I mean, <laughs> black people say that about themselves all the time. But see, okay, here's the thing: you gotta like realize where that those terms come from again, like if if somebody is, say, say you do drive through a neighborhood and it's run down and people of color happen to live there. And it's like, hmm, that's an interesting thing that I see a lot of run down neighborhoods where mostly people of color live. I wonder what's going on systemically to make that happen. And then instead of being like, oh, I don't want to go there because that's ghetto and like, you know, put some label on it. People should really feel like, wow, why is this neighborhood so run down and there is nothing but people of color here? The the city must not care about this community um, and there must not be resources going to this community in the way that there are resources going to the other communities that I've seen. So like, I don't know I just it's it's fine I think it's fine for people to call out when there are just when there are differences in like levels of resources or the way something's being a neighborhood speaking being taken care of but then also to like question why that is and whether it, or not it's right rather than just say like uh okay this is like not a place that I want to be in and that's those people's problem you know.
2: Yeah. I don't know if this is going at all off topic, but I'm going to just throw it
3: out.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the Discovery (laughs) and Awesome Podcast. (laughs) Show where we have a topic and go off topic.
2: (laughs) Someone I know posted this article on Facebook and I clicked on it and read it. It was very interesting. So not to be like white man bashing, sorry, white guys out there.
3: But (laughs) but
2: it was basically, and it was, I think it started because it was talking about um, uh, Trump Jr. And how, you know, he's this like, almost like 40 year old guy and, you know, he's in a little bit of trouble and he goes to his dad and, you know, then everyone's sort of like, Oh, that poor, poor Donnie jr. That, that he's just a nice sweet kid. He's trying, you know, he's trying his best and yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. He's a 40 year old man with like multiple children, like, but we kind of play it down like, Oh, he's just a, he's just a young whippersnapper. He's figuring <laughs> it out. And this is his first right. time doing this, whatever. Um, <laughs> but no, no, seriously. I, I mean, yeah, this article spelled it out a little bit more eloquently, but, and then it was sort of t- it's, flipping things around and saying, meanwhile, a 12-year-old black kid was, you know, shot and killed because he was playing with a toy gun in a park and no one's talking about how he was just... Or not no one's talking about, but, you know, they're not... It's not the same argument of, like, well, he's just a kid and he really is a kid. And then even with, like, women of, you know, there's... You never hear people say like, "Oh, girls will be girls," and oh, you know, she's a rascal girl, and well, what are you gonna do? So she might be, uh, she might have a wandering eye, but that's just how girls are. No, that's not <laughs> how it works. You know, the girl is like expected to be a woman and to be responsible and to, you know, get the guy, you know, to, in shape and to stop, you know, doing
0: yeah. those, not only like, be responsible for her things, things. yeah, <laughs> right. Not only to be responsible for herself, but also to be responsible for what every man around her exactly. might exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly,
2: no because, sense. because oh, those guys, you know, that's just in their nature. They can just sort of look and wander, but yeah, exactly. So anyways, I read that earlier and I was just getting all heated up about yeah. it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting because there was a report that came out of Georgetown a couple, maybe a month or a month and a half ago about how uh, black girls as early as five are um, seen as less innocent than their white girl counterparts. Uh-huh. Uh, and so like it shows up in the way that they're taught and the way that they're, that they, you know, teenage girls are interact interact with the police. It shows up in like every single level of society where there's just like, and this is where these like stereotypes come back into play, right? Where people see somebody and they automatically have this bias against them because it does, it goes unchecked. Um, and they don't critique what's going on in their brains about this person. Um, so, I mean, that's like, a, that's a, that's a, like a well-documented thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and RIP Tamir Rice, that is the, that's the saddest of the, the 12-year-old boy that you were talking about. It's such a yes. sad story.
1: Have you, uh, heard about this or there's, I've never, I never actually have watched the show West Wing, but there's a clip I've seen from it about the bias of maps.
0: Oh yeah. Are you I've familiar seen with that. this?
1: So the, <laughs> so the idea is that, and I'm sure in the post-production I'll just put the actual clip in, but the basically there is the, these people come to the white house to like actually like make make a case for themselves about we want this change enacted in society and this i don't know american society of cartographers or something like that they come and they talk about how the standard map that is used which i believe is the mercator map
3: mm-hmm. has
1: inherent bias to it because it was designed to create, to, ma- to make navigation across oceans easy. But in so doing, it is, the map is basically, like if you look yeah, at a yes. map.
3: Uh, look at Greenland. Okay. Now look at Africa. Okay. The two land masses appear to be roughly the same size. Yes. Would it blow your mind if I told you
0: that Africa is in reality 14 times larger. Salvatore Natoli of the National Council for Social Studies argues, in our society, we unconsciously equate size with importance and even
1: power. When third world countries are misrepresented, they're likely to be valued less. And the the, the point they were bringing up was that this inherently creates bias, because both top-down bias and size bias, because you generally exactly. equate things at the top to being more important. So America is super important.
0: Yeah, I think the argument around um, like making it easier for for sea travel is like an interesting one to deconstruct as well, because like, who, who knows if that's actually, I don't know if that's actually still true. I would question if that's actually still true. Um, or if if it serves us for navigational purposes to have the map in this way, or we just take it for granted now because it's been this way for so long. But it is interesting that like it, it could have, even if, even if it was about sea travel, like why not have map be flipped upside down? Why, why are the countries with the, with the Brown people on the bottom? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that was kind of in, in the episode, right? Like they're like, we propose flipping the map upside down. And, right. <laughs> and you're like, and you but, and you look at it and you're like, what? <laughs>
0: it feels so strange but that's how that's a good experiment too because that's how strange it should feel whenever you question any of your biases and people are like so averse to doing it because it feels so uncomfortable but it should feel that uncomfortable otherwise like you're a slave to what you've been fed for you know your whole life and how you've been programmed your whole life so people should have the willpower to do that
1: that is a really good Analogy, one line or whatever you want to call it, but it should feel as uncomfortable as seeing the map upside down. I like that. I want to, so the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you in the first place was when I heard you on the rich 20 something podcast, you mentioned a few, a few notes that were around this and I thought it was interesting, but the, the Genesis was you made a name for yourself as an artist as a female under the name King Avril, <laughs> and there's a whole lot to unpack there, so I'm just going to let you launch into it.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so there are a couple different reasons why I called myself that. I, I think the biggest thing was just wanting to, um, wanting to critique understanding of power as it is as it relates to gender, and um, knowing that. It, you know I think it was either like 15th dynasty or 18th dynasty in Egypt there was a woman who was a, who was pharaoh so she wasn't like the wife to the pharaoh or anything like that like she was pharaoh and um and when we look at are you guys still there oh no. yeah yeah no we're here. okay sorry cool. we're here. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I throw the mic on mute, on
1: mute when you're talking so there's no like it's all good worrying. yeah
0: It's all good. Um, And so when we look at um, hierarchies, like within royalty, for instance, queens are always seen as um, below kings. And it's just, you know, it's just gender. It's the way we look at gender. Like him always comes first before her. Uh, And I wanted to, I just wanted to play with that and turn that idea on its head. Um, And then there was, I also really love Bell Hooks and Bell Hooks is like a black feminist scholar. And she spells her name with two lowercase letters. Um, and she has a couple different reasons for doing that. But the one that I identify with most is um, this idea that like she wants her work to speak for itself and not be not have it be about this individualistic identity. Um, of like, and names are individualistic like identity or denote individual identities. And so the A in my name was always lowercase and the K in King was always uppercase because it was, for me, this, you know, call out to other women, like, look, we don't have to accept this, the, the way these hierarchies work. Um, we can We can reclaim them and redefine them for ourselves.
1: What kind of... Responses, did you get to that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of angry dudes on rap blogs. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I mean, people people telling me I look like a man, which is like, okay, whatever. (laughs) And then, like, I just dudes being like, I just don't understand why girls want to do this. But it was cool because, like, I never got into arguments with people on rap blog comments. That's just like a losing battle. But, um, I would see other men kind of jump in and and debate the the idea with them, and that made it all worth it for me, to be honest. Was yeah. to just see men in these like predominantly male spaces discuss this amongst themselves, and and some of them were like you know really trying to understand where I was coming from and trying to like talk to their peers. It was cool. That's sounds- right. Um, but, and then, you know, it was, I got a lot of positive recognition for it too. It's like, you, you know, but at the time Vogue was writing a lot about trans identity and like gender fluidity. And so, um, you know, they wrote a really cool piece on me and I, and I was one of the music videos that I released early on, uh, really explored trans identity. And, and so that was, it was, it was cool. I think I got more love than hate, at least in terms of like magnitude of the message. Um, so Yeah.
1: How about, um, well, I'll say this, first off, trying to win an argument with an internet troll is always going to be a losing battle (laughs) because they'll end up being like, well, I hate babies too, so there.
0: (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I get in trouble on Facebook for this all the time because I won't argue with random people, but I'll argue with people I feel like I know or like I can have some kind of impact on. And And they're like, why are you coming at me? Yeah, that too. But then they just don't stop. But I found out today that Facebook has a uh, feature. Instead of unfriending someone, you can like take a break from them and just make it so they don't don't see any of your posts. And I was like, yes, this is a godsend. So I don't have to actually like become, you know, non-friends with people I still don't hate, but at least I don't have to deal with them saying crazy shit on my posts. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: funny. (laughs) Let's pause for a hot minute for this quick. P.S.A. Are you part of the startup community? If so, keep listening. If not, go ahead and hit the skip ahead button because this is not going to apply to you. The Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast is a property of Raj Nation Innovation. What is Raj Nation Innovation? Well, it's simple. I talk to founders and startup teams every day who flat out tell me, hey, we suck at telling our story. I help remove the suck. Combining a unique background of both branding expertise as well as songwriting expertise from my experience as a hip-hop artist, I take a performance lens and mindset to the world of business communication. Using this approach, I partner with growth-focused startups to help them develop their story, their go-to-market message, and their pitch so they can raise venture capital and acquire their early customers. Think of me like the Will Smith character Hitch, but for startups. And yes, I will tell you when you're dancing like an idiot. Does this sound like a conversation we should have? If so, head to www.RajNationInnovation.com. That's R-A-J Nation Innovation Send me a message through there and let's chat. Back now to the podcast. In this you know, larger conversation around identity, one of the things I've noticed about myself is that depending on like, the group of people I'm with, I like, I'm still me, but I'll change my mannerisms a little bit. So, like, honestly, if I'm around, like, a lot of my black friends, like, my voice will just be a, a tad different, and I'll say things more like, like, nah, instead of, like, no, you know, like, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, or even, like, I know when I've traveled, like, I, I if I were to move to another country, I would, I, I honestly think give me f- less than six months, and I'd be, t- I'd be talking in that accent, like, out of habit. Uh, <laughs> like, when I was in South Africa for three weeks, I... Like when I was interacting with a shopkeeper, I was putting on like a more South African accent. Uh, when I go to India, like you just sometimes like I make talk. Up to that me- you have a South well, African accent. Well, it's more, and I, and I think I, I think my reason for doing this is like I want to fit in with this crowd and not be seen as like the outsider.
2: Mm.
1: Now, as someone who has studied <laughs> yeah. this type of race relations and everything, please analyze this, Avril. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, it's, it sounds like you're talking about code switching. So, uh. being biracial, I am the master code switcher. Uh, my friends and I joke all the time, specifically my boyfriend, that I have like cultural fluid fluidity. Uh, meaning that I've been around just as many white people in my life as I have around you know, people of color. And so it's really easy for me to kind of switch back and forth. But that's an interesting thing that um, a lot of education scholars talk about too, in terms of like capital that students of color have that is untapped in the classroom and things that we don't see as being valuable. But being able to code switch and being able to authentically communicate with different types of people and different like, uh, you know, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different. Um, you know, lo- locations is a really valuable skill that a lot of um, people of color have to learn out of necessity, right? To like be cool in their families, but then also go out into the working world and be able to like interact with um, white controlled spaces in, in like the corporate world or whatever, or in, in schools. So I, yeah, I think that's, I think it's interesting. I don't know if there's, I think sometimes it can be a little weird if it's inauthentic. Like, I don't know if, if one of my friends like comes up to me and just like starts talking just differently to me <laughs> yeah exactly. yeah that's a different that's a totally different conversation that's not code switching that's just that's just, that's just straight racism <laughs> um but yeah i think i think it's i think it's interesting i don't and then i i i'm not i don't i don't operate i'm not i don't live in a country where people come here and try to like and and f- um orientalize us in any way or like you know people people don't see americans as these like interesting foreign people or anything like that um so i'd be interested to see how folks in like south africa or india or or wherever like when when americans come there and do that like how what their take is on that
1: they're like ooh, money (laughs) (laughs) right dollar
0: signs (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe it's as simple as that (laughs)
1: um Okay, so you said that so the code switching was the word you use and, and that, that that fluidity idea is interesting to me because that's part of the reason why I think in addition to personality, I think that's one of the reasons why the rock is so successful is because mm. he is like he's like kind of racially ambiguous, right? Like yeah. there are like so many different groups of people can identify with him for the fact that he's this like beige tone and then <laughs> his personality is so goddamn charming that he's irresistible.
0: I love yes, you, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> Are you going to yeah, vote actually, for him for president? Oh, if he
1: runs for president, yeah. I mean, because at is this point, everything's the just a circus act. So. Well, true, true, true. <laughs>
0: That's so funny. I want to know what his platform is.
1: Uh, smell what the rock is cooking. <laughs> uh, so, but, 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 the, anyways, the the point there is like, and, and, I think it was GQ that did an article on him that talked about this idea. I don't know if they used the word racially ambiguous, but they, they talked a little bit about that, about how like you're not quite sure what he like. He could be Greek. He mm-hmm. could be Italian. He could be black. He could be Hispanic. Mm-hmm. He could be Indian. He could be Middle Eastern. Uh, you know, basically, right. the only thing he couldn't be is like Irish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> super yeah, could like pasty. Be super yeah. white. Yeah. She's like pasty. He's not Swedish. We know that right. much. Yeah. And, but he might be. There might be some Swedish. But in there, there could be a little, sure, yeah, sure. maybe half. Yeah.
1: And then <laughs> in reality, harder. he's he's African and Samoan. Like that's right. what his actual thing is. So it's that that idea is something that only I'd, I've become more aware of ever since I read that article because I was like, I actually think for me, like that actually plays more to that earlier point, Victoria, of like sometimes it does play to your advantage. Like I think it does play to my advantage. Like yeah, I'm Indian, but like I'm I'm not like such a deep skin color that like. It's like, oh, you're afraid of me upon looking at me, which is a thing, right? Like, yeah, people see like dark. Like just like the darker you get, the more dangerous potentially you are in the eyes of others. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like I've got this almost like
2: like you're Indian, but you're not that Indian. Yeah, something <laughs> like that saying? going
1: on. Uh, <laughs> and I think it plays to my advantage. And then on top of that, like I can speak well. So I think it it plays to my advantage. In certain contexts, and it makes me something that I I don't personally feel in the business world. I'll say this: I don't personally feel like I have had opportunity taken from me because of my skin color. And I think there's a whole mm. thing or two around like Indians being like a model minority,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is I think another thing to we can explore. But that that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Is like I'm not totally racially ambiguous, but I'm like more towards that end of uh, being than as opposed to being like super whatever. And right. I I don't feel in the business world, and maybe I'm unaware of it, but I don't feel things have been taken from me or robbed of me because of my skin color.
2: There was a funny commercial, like, I don't know, a handful of years ago. It might have been like a tampon commercial or something. And it was like a racially ambiguous girl. And she was like, and, and, and in the commercial, she talks about um, how like, how this is a tampon commercial and like, you like it because I'm you know, wearing all white and I'm racially ambiguous.
0: Hi, I'm a believably attractive 18 to 24 year old female. You can relate to me because I'm racially ambiguous. And I'm in this tampon commercial because market research shows girls like you love girls like me. Don't all these angles make me seem dynamic? Now I'm going to tell you to buy something. Buy the same tampons I use because I'm wearing white pants and I have good hair. And do you wish you could be me? She gets. She like
2: calls. She says that I had to find it because it was really funny. And she was like, she could have been, like, black or Asian or you know, Middle Eastern. She, she, it was kind of like the Rock. She was yeah. just like very racially ambiguous, but she called it out, and it was like a really funny thing because you notice that sometimes a lot of times with models.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, I think yeah, I think that it's it's similar for me too, like being biracial and being light skin. I definitely have privileges in comparison to darker skinned women, and um you have to be cognizant of that too right so it's privilege is always unasked for and unearned it's just a thing that is given to you because of some something you were born into so um and just because I sometimes benefit from from being light skinned over you know, in comparison to somebody who's dark skinned doesn't mean that that's right or that like I want this this social uh, system to remain intact. Like it's still unfair, and even sure. if it's not unfair to me personally, it's unfair to somebody who's my sister. And like that, I feel like I have a responsibility to not not benefit from it or to dismantle the systems that um, unfairly benefit me. But uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's a thing. That's that's how white supremacy works, and that's like colorism in the black community is so real. Um, and it's, it's, it stems from slavery, like house, house people from slave people. You know what I mean? I don't want to yep. say the N word on your show, but like, uh, <laughs> you can, if you want, I mean, if you're comfortable it's not, saying, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> uh, but, uh, like house slaves from, from field slaves and like that, those tropes still plague the community to this day. And like what seem as what's, what's deemed attractive and what's not. And like, I don't know it's really interesting color is a really interesting thing to look at because it's obviously a gradient it's not black and white there is a, there is a gradient but then at the end of the day like whiteness is still seen as this pure thing and like it is it still looms above all else um and i think that's the that's the thing that i'm most critical of
3: you'll <laughs> see like too far
1: even far. like and i and i i was, I probably in the black community but definitely in the indian community in india in particular um first off if you look at all of the Bollywood celebrities, all the film stars, they are lighter-skinned Indian.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there are some men who are darker-skinned, but I think like dark man is more attractive than like uh, across man. the board like more attractive than dark woman. Um, and there's also like there's a, a huge industry around skin lightening products as well. Mm-hmm. Right. I always think
2: that's so interesting when you go to other countries and you see that or like, or that, you know, people really want to like cover up and protect themselves from the sun. And then here in the States, it's like, like, yeah, here you got every white girl trying to get a tan. tan. (laughs) 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 Buying buying lifetime membership to LA tan. Yeah. (laughs) That is, it is interesting though. So
1: is that, is that idea of like the, the color spectrum and wanting to be more light? And I don't know if you know the answer to this, but is that part of the black community as well?
0: oh for sure yeah for sure i mean that all stems from like internalized racism too right so like you just again it's like white supremacy is the norm it's the air that we breathe in and and if you don't critique it and if you don't examine it within yourself then it takes over and you just accept things like light-skinned girls with curly hair are prettier than dark-skinned girls with uh kinkier hair Mm. like that you know, and that's it. Just it's just a silly it's a silly thing that we've made up. It's very arbitrary, and so, um it yeah. And when you really look at it, it makes zero sense. Like, <laughs> there's no like biological truth in that. You know, there's well, and no we much... all
1: started off like super dark too, like as humans. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Like Jesus right. was not
2: a white man. Yeah. Despite. <laughs> all have, you, have you ever heard? The despite what day Fox day. News wants.
0: Us to <laughs> right. <think>. Yeah,
3: right. <laughs> have you actually
1: ever? um heard the rascast song uh i think it's called nature of the threat no i haven't so it's like a 10 minute rap song a lot of it doesn't even rhyme actually uh and it's just like a 10 minute like it's almost like people's history of the united states but like people's history of the world
0: oh cool and
1: it it, he just kind of goes like like from the creation of man all the way to modern day he talks through like what are the realities of what's actually happened in history and the fact that like he um he's like Jesus Christ's real name was Yashua ben Yosef. Do people know this? Um, he wasn't a white man. Do people know this? Do people know that Columbus uh, hung Haitian pregnant women upside down and gutted their stomachs like that kind? Of, and we have Columbus Day in America, Whoa, right, or that,
2: right. um, that December
1: twenty fifth was actually uh, Saturnalia in Greek culture, which was when basically the Greek men would get drunk and beat and like beat their wives, or that Jesus. Yeah. Well, not this Jesus. This is a Christ. grim song. <laughs> oh, you're saying Jesus in the sense of like, oh man, not like Jesus Christ.
0: <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like,
3: like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's what you're saying. Yeah.
1: And then another, another thing he has in there too is, which like one of the funny lines is like, so like in Greek culture, like being homosexual or bisexual was the standard. Great. And he's like, he says, Jesus, Julius Caesar was known as every woman's husband and every man's
2: wife. <laughs> <laughs> so this is. This is just, like, getting back to sort of the topic, right, of, like, how does your identity shape your experience or define your experience? So just something that came into my head. So last week I was out in L.A. That's where my brother and sister-in-law live, and they've got three little kids, and we are white. And um, and my two nephews and niece are white, and their nanny is black. And she – so they they live on a street where, like, there's like a goofy there's a goofy thing where like you can't turn right down it going from one direction it's just like silly is a like really annoying and i've totally broken the law and turned right there but regardless you're not supposed to their signs but anyway so mm-hmm. um so like la- early last week or something their nanny kalisha had called my sister-in-law and was like hey i think, um, she was like, can you not turn right on, you know, on that street? And my sister-in-law was like, no, no, you can't turn right. Like there's all these signs. And, and the nanny was like, well, I think I was just racially profiled because I got pulled over and you know, they gave me a ticket for it. My sister-in-law was like, well, I don't think so because there are signs like you're not allowed to. So, you know, like, whatever anyways so then she got home and my and their nanny uh, explained she was like no what happened was they pulled me over three cops so one woman driving a car she has and three kids in the back seat so my six-year-old nephew was like retelling the story too and um three cops pulled her over and at first they just said something like oh, we've had reports of this suspicious car driving around the neighborhood. And she's like, well, I mean, I work here. Like, I literally work in that house right there. Like, these are the kids that I nanny. And, like, whatever. And then, I guess, like, after a few minutes, one of the other cops was like, well, give her a ticket for turning turning right because she wasn't supposed to do that. So, like, that wasn't the reason they... You know, they, they didn't say that right off the bat. And then she was like, well, I mean, like, you know, they were right in front of, like, my brother and sister-in-law's house. She's like, this is the house that I need to get. Like, these are the kids. Like, and they made her actually prove that by going into the house. Wow. And she was like, I mean, I can open the garage door, too, if you want. And they were like, no, it's like, fine. Oh, just, she stole the code. Just go in the house, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and so it's just wow. interesting because at first, you know, like that natural instinct that, you know, my sister-in-law was like, no, I don't think you are racially profiled. Like you're not allowed to turn there. And then, you know, obviously once she heard the story, she was like, no, oh, you shit. are not. allowed." Yeah, to turn exactly. Like and so, but it is just interesting how like that wouldn't have been my first reaction or my sister-in-law's first reaction as a white person to necessarily think that that's what was happening. But like, right. obviously our experience, our, you know, our identity, our identity would Shape our experience differently than what their nanny's was, and she was like, "No, no, I was being racially profiled," and like, she totally was, you know. So yeah. it's just just yeah. interesting how you can each see those scenarios differently based on your identity and your experience.
0: Well, yeah, and based on the privilege of the of like never having to experience that exactly. in the past, or like knowing that knowing that that's not a threat that you face. Because, right. I mean, I could I could drive you know, my entire life and, and get pulled over. And, and if I haven't seen a single video of a cop killing a black woman for no reason, or or if I haven't seen a single news report of a a black shooting a black woman for no reason, I have no reason to fear police when they pull, pull pull me over. But Mm -hmm. because I know that that is a thing and it's a thing that disproportionately affects people who look like me, I have to go through life with that fear. And like, it's Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's one of the aspects of privilege is just like the psychological privilege that goes along with navigating the world knowing that things are set up to keep you safe rather than um, to threaten you.
1: I even had an experience similar to that a few months ago where I went to a concert. The DMX was supposed to be playing, but he never showed up. Rude. <laughs> Cla- <laughs> classic Earl Simmons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> classic.
1: <laughs> and so everyone like, So, anyways, like, people left the the venue, like, just pissed off and, like, in a frenzy. So, like, a bunch of squad cars, like, the the venue called the police to, like, manage crowd control. And my friend and I were just, like, let's get an Uber. Like, we had to, like, pick us up, like, three blocks away. uh, So we wouldn't be in the midst of, you know, like, the frenzy of everyone trying to move. And as we were walking there, like, to the Uber, uh, some scuffle had happened, like, where we were walking towards that the cops had already settled. And then the cops were still in their car, though, but then we were there and then just kind of like in their eyes loitering because we were waiting for our Uber. And the cop comes out of the car and starts asking questions. And I'm like, and in that moment, I was like, fuck, like, and my friend I'm with was white. And I'm like, shit might go down here. I got to be like super, super respectful because not that I'm an African-American man, but I, in the darkness, I am dark. I'm very dark and <laughs> I look much different than the person standing next to me. And... You know, nothing ended up happening, but, you know, you it's like, we've got to be cognizant that something could happen mm-hmm. because of an inherent color thing versus someone who is white does not have that inherent mindset of, like, well, like, I, I know they're police officers, so I should, I should respect them regardless, but, like, you're not having to it's think not about the same yeah, threat. Yeah, you're not, not having to think about, like, am I already at a disadvantage yeah. here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's one more topic I want to touch on and then we'll dive into seek you and it is this idea. I've been gnawing on this a lot over the last couple months and I've I've actually had conversations with different people to get their perspectives about it. And it is that um, I think as so as anyone who's not in a majority, so basically a white landowning male who can vote
2: who's
0: <laughs> well, married to a woman
2: yeah. <laughs> a straight a straight white wealthy man
1: sure um but so sitting you know in this podcast we have victoria woman part jewish we have me indian male and we have Avriel, who is black and jewish and woman and you won the lottery there, my, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> if, this was, if this was Chappelle's show, racial draft, like, I, I, I think I the Chinese would like select you. My <laughs> <life. Woo-hoo. laughs> so, but, but the, the, the concept I've been gnawing on is the idea that do the people who are not in the majority, uh, do we have to think about our actions being representative of just ourself versus the, the quote unquote people we represent. And the examples I can give are, there was this video that surfaced online a few years ago about this black woman who was in line at a grocery store and she had to pay with a check.
3: So Kathleen comes up and the checker, who's a strawberry blonde, um, freckled, very delightful, warm, um. You know the checker, this young woman, is talking to Kathleen. Hey, how you doing? Isn't this a nice day today? They're just chatting up, and says yes. Yeah. So Kathy writes her her check, and she steps off to the side with her groceries because she's waiting for me. Of course, again, Kathleen looks white, right? So I come up. No conversation. She looks up at me. Absolutely no, just little chatter, and uh, I write my check. My daughter, however, is ten. Notices immediately the difference in how she responds to me. So I write my check, and she goes, I'm going to need two pieces of ID. At which point, my daughter looks at me, and she gets very, very embarrassed, and tears are are kind of coming up in her eye like, Mommy, you're not going to let her do this. Why is she doing this to us, right? So I'm trying to figure out what I should do, because behind me are two elderly white women. Right, And I'm thinking, okay, so then I become the angry black woman, right? And they're going to be, and I just, I'm I'm just trying to second guess all the drama.
1: So the kind of, what I want to throw out there with with that as the the basis is, do you, Avriel or Victoria, like, do you ever look at like the things you do, things you say or the actions you take, do you look at it as like you're taking on the responsibility of representing more than just yourself? Or is it just like no? I'm me. Like I haven't even thought about what that means beyond myself.
0: Oh, I mean, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, you gotta you have to be cognizant of that because we're humans, are social creatures. We live in in communities, and we exist in communities. Like we have to be responsible for one another, um, and and we are responsible for what other people for other people's actions and and things like that too. So but i i think also like especially especially cuz i get i get afraid i'm afraid to be pegged as like the angry black woman all the time because i speak out against injustice and and systemic racism Like in everything that I do. Like it's your job, which it is. (laughs) Yeah, basically. And so it's like, but at the end of the day, like, dude, if this was happening to you, you'd be pissed off too. Mm. Like, I think it's a rational, like human reaction to be upset about the fact that you were born into a situation that you have very little control over where because of, you know, other people's actions in the past and in the present um, you're, you're at a disadvantage. Like, I just think, I think it's, it's like, you'd be insane if you weren't, I think it's insane for people to not be upset about this. Um, and so, yeah, like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) I'm angry sometimes. It makes me mad. Um, and I think I'm in the right. And it's like, you know, I'm not, I try not to be angry at individual people if they're, if they're, um not acting with malintent, I try to be angry at systems and I try to provide solutions and hold systems accountable and hold the people who exist within those systems accountable, because I'm much more committed to um, progress and, and social racial and gender justice um, than I am attached to being angry at any individual person or like being seen as a victim or people taking pity on me or anything like that. Um, so I think, yeah, at the end of the day, you just gotta like ask yourself, like, what are you committed to? Like if you're committed to getting stuff changed and you're committed to everyone living in a more equitable world, um, and everyone being seen for their, and being able to experience their full humanity, then, you know, you, sometimes, you, sometimes you gotta play up to some stereotypes and like not be, not beat yourself up about it.
1: <laughs> and, and not necessarily worry about is that representing the larger?
0: And yeah, exactly. I got away from your original topic. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, I think that's the problem with, that's something that I I don't have control over. Right. So again, that's, that's the privilege of whiteness to the privilege of maleness is that you don't get lumped in with your entire group or one person's actions are not representative of the entire group. And so like, I, I don't have control over the fact that people, uh, see me as a representative when I'm the only person of color in the group mm-hmm. or they are I'm the only person of color that they know or the only person of color that they're talking to about these issues. Like I don't have control over that. So I can't, I can't like if I'm caught, co- if I try to be cognizant of that and let that hinder or um, constrict me while I'm navigating these conversations or while I'm navigating like difficult situations, uh, I am like, I'm, I'm not doing my best work then, you know, and I'm like, I'm letting this. I'm letting these systems win.
2: Yeah, I've definitely been in like a couple, you know, situations where you're cognizant of the fact that like, oh, I don't want them to think that I'm just like a compl- like, being girly and complaining because I'm a girl and making a, you know what I'm making, making a big deal out of it, or like so totally different situation, but which is one that kind of comes to mind. I went to like a super southern conservative Republican school, and I'm like. Opposite. Atheist and really liberal, and like and um, I started in 2007, so like you know Obama's um, election. Um, I was like, I think I was the only person at school who voted for him. No, but like you know, but I remember having to be really cognizant about that in certain group settings. Like, I'm political. I like to debate people. I'm you know generally like somewhat knowledgeable, like fairly knowledgeable on a lot of topics, and like I you know I like to be pushed. I like to push people. But I felt very much like being in the minority in that regard that like I was not, you know, there weren't other people that were on my side. I also didn't want to like sound sometimes too crazy and loud and getting so heated because then it was like, you know, oh, well, you're just a crazy liberal and you're, you know, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's just kind of one one scenario, but I think, but more on like the, the female side, because I feel like you get that, like, oh, she's just she's being a, a bitch, crazy yeah. girl. She's a bitch. She's like, oh, she needs right. to rein
0: it in, like, you know, that whole thing. Yeah,
1: the the, the resigning, the resigning belief, uh, uh, bitch is crazy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that's also why it's so important to find allies, right? Yeah. So like if you have somebody who it can't be pegged into that group who's also saying the same thing as you to back you up or not even saying the same thing as you but like standing up for you that is so powerful and yes. I, I try really hard to surround myself with with men and white people and like you know other people of color who experience privilege on some level to that who also understand this and like are willing to advocate for for me and knowing that I'm like willing to advocate for them when when I, when they need me to, too. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's, that's definitely a call for allies. Cause that shouldn't be something that like women being crazy or being seen as irrational or emotional shouldn't be a battle that only women fight against because mm. it's, that's how we lose. Um, so,
1: you know, I've only become more aware of the sort of like the representing the larger group thing, I think more recently. Cause I, I before I operate on the lens of like, no, like I'm me, like that's it, whatever. Like I just happen to be Indian, something like that. You know, something to that effect something to that effect. But over the last few years I've become more aware of it, and I would say specifically over the last probably six months to a year. Um, just in like little things like you know, like all growing up, I think for the reason of like just wanting to like be cool with people and fit in, it's like I'd like let people get away with, you know, like little comments here and there. Um or like doing the Indian accent to me as if I'm not familiar familiar with what it sounds like. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh I'm you know, so that sorry. what's that?
0: <laughs> I said, I'm so sorry. That's, those <laughs> kinds of microaggressions are just right, like, the yeah, worst. Mi- are yeah, yeah, so annoying. Microaggressions,
1: those <laughs> kinds of things. And um, then I think probably like a little bit after college, I got to a point where I was like, all right, I think I'm like sure enough of myself and confident enough of myself to say something back where, like, and I'll tell you the classic example for a few years when like the Big Bang Theory was at its height. I had people be like, you know who you look like? And I'm like, Who? <laughs> You know, like, Raj from The Big Bang Theory. I'm like, Actually, I know I have, like, the same all. name, but... And, and, and then I'd be like, oh, I'm not familiar with the show. Uh, does he have a beard? No. <laughs> and then at this time, I had super short hair. I was like, does he have really short hair? No. Uh, and like, so let's say I was wearing glasses at the moment. Does he wear glasses? No. Oh, well, then you look like every white person I've ever seen. <laughs>
0: I have my own version of that game when people ask me what am I? It's the <laughs> best. I'm like, uh, I'm a human. They're like, No, 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 like where are you from? Oh, I'm from LA. <laughs> where are your parents from? I'm like, Oh, they're they're both they grew up in LA too. Like, but like you're you're like you're there's something. Like, what's your nationality? I'm American. Like, thing.
1: <laughs> Can you get them to 20 uh, questions,
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Then finally it's like, oh, well, like, what's your heritage? And then at that point I was like, um, I don't know. Oh, no, so I went to London and somebody was, like, asking me, where where my dad was from. I was like, well, my mom's Jewish, but I'm like I'm an American. My dad's like black." And he's like, "But what kind of black? Like where is your dad from?" I guess he wanted me to like pinpoint the, the African kind. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, "Um, well, let me tell you about this thing called American slavery and oh <laughs> slave, Atlantic slave trade." <laughs> I <laughs> actually don't know where my dad is from. It was really funny. Oh man. He, he was very <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, and, and uh, more recently, so like uh, a couple of weeks ago, I taught a yoga class that was a Bollywood flow yoga class, which is a ton of fun.
2: I know I'm so bummed I missed that. <laughs>
1: and then, you know, it's basically <laughs> like a like a dance party like with yoga involved, uh, cool. or it was a yoga class with a dance party involved. I think would be a better way to phrase it. Uh, and but I was like really cognizant of like. It's really easy in those scenarios, like as an Indian, it's very easy in those scenarios to like play up to the stereotype because like you want to be like funny with it and everything like that. Um, But like, you know, as advice to me from someone else who was Indian, she was like, you shouldn't like do like the, you know, like the move people like screw in the light bulb, open the doorknob, like that dance move or whatever. I don't, can, I don't know if you can picture Raj that. She every did you know? it, so I'm like, what like about. you've got like one arm up <laughs> yeah. and you're screwing in a light bulb, and then another arm in front like, of you I turning the door movies. Out. yeah, like that. Yeah. I never heard that explain like that. She's good. like, don't do that because like, like don't like give that cue because that's just like so stereotypical and so cliche and that kind of stuff. And I didn't. And we, you know, we incorporated some other stuff, but and then also like I would take like a couple of the songs. I'd be like, this is what they're talking about in this song. It's actually like the Hindi version of Akuna Matata. It's the same type of theme. And basically like, what I was trying to do was, like, be, like, like, give it the respect it deserves as opposed to taking it, like, because o- it w- it's really easy to take it in the opposite direction and be like, oh, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to, like, dress like and wear a turban and do all this stuff, you know, and, like, be like, oh, well, right. do, you know, that kind of stuff <laughs> and be a poo about it. Uh, but that's the, the stuff that I'm more aware of now. And it's, it's not so much that, like. I personally get offended by much because I, I honestly think I'm, I, got, I built up immunity to getting offended. It's more that like, like with that like Big Bang Theory comment, like it's not that it offended me. It's that I want them to know it, you don't know who it's going to offend. So you probably shouldn't say that to someone you just met.
0: Well, uh, not even that. I think like I, I sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I, I think that we have to just be careful not to flatten human beings. Like you can't, and that co- goes back to this like angry black woman stereotype or whatever stereotype we're looking at. When you do that, when you stereotype an entire group of people or you see them as all being the same, you you rob them of their humanity in some way because they end up becoming this like flattened cartoon. Mm. And then it's really hard to understand how like, the, how institutions or systems uh, disadvantage folks. Like, it's easy to justify oppression when you see people as, a, like, when you don't see people as people. Uh, and so I think that's kind of like where these arguments around like stereotyping or like even cultural appropriation, it's like it, you're you're turning entire groups of human beings, sometimes millions or billions of human beings into like a cartoon or a flattened image and then it just makes it that much easier to not really give a shit about them. Mm.
2: Yeah, that's good. I like that. Flat. No, it <laughs> is. Flat and right, just like really, just, just, just the way you said it. I mean, it's like we all know that, but just it's a good way to articulate it. Yeah,
1: it's almost like you have dedicated scholarly studies to this topic. It's
2: almost like you're an expert
0: in this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm an expert yet. I it's almost like that. you had a journal, a,
1: a, a, a <laughs> published an academic journal on a topic related to this. <laughs>
0: Basically. Oh, yeah, I did do that. <laughs> all right. So
1: let's transition here for a few minutes. Uh, although I kinda, I quite honestly feel like we could just keep talking for hours about this, but we do all have days to get back to. So um, let's talk about Seek You for a minute. So as I mentioned before we started recording, I think, hands down, you are the most accomplished guest we've ever had on this show, with a background yeah. that includes um, being at UCLA, also being, uh, taking your scholarship money, building your own recording studio, and self-funding your own R&B album, and then getting on the Grand Theft Auto soundtrack. Uh, were you on Action Bronson's song, or you, you just were also on the same album as him?
0: No, um, I was just on the same album as okay. him.
1: But I think you've done some songs with some pretty well known names, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a couple. <laughs> do,
1: you want, do you want a name drop for us?
0: Um, I think probably, I mean, the biggest name artist that I've actually been on a song with is Ace Berg. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, I don't know how notable that necessarily is.
3: Uh, I know <laughs> how much I want to play into that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and by the way, whether, whether, whether that was by choice or not, you ended up on a rap
0: song. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And so that, that's what happens when you take corporate money. You have to do something like that. <laughs> That's why I didn't want to keep going down that road.
1: Your history has anyway. also included leading diversity initiatives and change management for or diversity change initiatives for um, the uh, entrepreneurship program at UCLA. You're going to Harvard. You're starting a, a, a Postgraduate program at Harvard in a couple of weeks, or by the time this li- this goes live, you'll have started. But your main venture now is Seek You, which is really about helping high school students get into college. Now, that's what it is at surface level, but I know it's more than that. So tell our listeners why it's about so much more than just getting into college.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, so I did a lot of, when I was at the UCLA Graduate School of Education, I worked on some research that was looking at effective college counseling practices in California high schools. And so um, we took like 16 years worth of data and looking at like over 20 of the state's most effective college counselors and tried to figure out like what they were doing to help kids who were extremely disadvantaged get into school at really high rates. Um, And they were like helping them beat the odds. And so then I took that and started to create some curriculum And tested it over the last four years or so and now we have a tech platform that helps students navigate the process and then also connects them on demand to college counselors over video chat Um, but yeah I think it's definitely more than being about helping kids get into college that's that's college is a means to an end so what we really help students focus on is figuring out who they are and who they want to become and then if they see college as a bridge to help you know or as a, yeah, as a bridge to connect those two selves, like the present self and their idealized future self, then we help them get to college with that in mind. Um, But that's not necessarily every student's goal and it doesn't have to be, Um, but it it really is, the focus really is for us on self-discovery and like building um, empowering identities for students and helping them understand how they can contribute meaningfully to the world after they graduate from high school.
1: What, uh, like, Do you have any examples of, like, specific students who have gone through the training and then, um, you know, gotten into a specific university or had a specific, you know, great result? Yeah,
0: sure. Um, So one student that sticks out in my mind, like, one of my favorite students, actually, is this um, kid, Cole. He was going to a – he went to one school. He had, like, a congenital heart disease but also got pushed out of the school after he had, like, recovered. And um, he'd he'd, like had open heart surgery as a teenager, which is like super traumatic, but um, he got pushed out of the school and then had to enroll in another school that was a lot more diverse than the school that he was in originally. Uh, And it was just really cool to watch him come into this consciousness and like really understand how schools that are maybe just even a mile apart from each other in Los Angeles could just have, have such radically different student bodies. And then the way that those student bodies are like Uh, treated is so different and the resources allocated to those folks are so different and it really lit a fire under him and he like became student body president. He ended up interning for uh, the mayor. He went, he ended up at Berkeley studying political science, which is such a great fit for him because Berkeley has this tradition of of radical politics. And, um, and so I, for that reason, I think he, he, Got to come into his own because th- those ideas of like injustice were kind of budding uh, when he was in high school. But he, yeah, he's a really he's an interesting kid. And then another kid I, I had a lot of fun with because some, you know not every kid's political and like not every kid wants to change the world necessarily, which is totally fine. Um, I had another student who ended up getting into Harvard, but his application was so interesting because he did stand up comedy. He really wanted to be a comedian and um and his approach to stand-up comedy was so intriguing where he he really saw it as like nonverbal communication rather than verbal communication which is like oh that's of course comedy is about the jokes you're telling it's about the words that are coming out of your mouth but he had this this analysis and he had this like he, he had it down to a science of how he used nonverbal communication to get the laughs and how he studied the greatest comedians on stage and the way their eyes shifted and their hands moved and the where they stopped on the stage. And he just had taken such great care to think about nonverbal communication. Um, and I think you know any kid could write about like a hobby that they do outside of school, but he took it to another level where he really intellectualized it and we helped him really understand um, how that applies to other aspects of life too. i verbal communication is so important, like all other aspects of life. And um so he's doing really well at Harvard right now and it's it's really fun to see him grow too.
2: So I'm curious, like so how is it, what is the process for helping these kids find their purpose or, you know, who they are, their identity. What is what is that process for for you guys?
0: Um, so we our curriculum is like 12 modules right now, um, and it starts off with helping students really understand kind of the myths of the application process and the myths around college because there's so much misinformation out there. Um, and even at the school level, like their counselors and their teachers are giving them bad information sometimes depending on what schools they're going to. Uh, And then, (laughs) or their counselors aren't giving them any information because in California the counselor to student ratio is like 940 something to one. Mm -hmm. So it's like some kids don't even get a chance to see their counselors. Um, And so, yeah, so we start off with addressing those myths, then we really help them take stock of everything they've been involved in. And it's amazing how much high schoolers will downplay themselves. Like, uh, you know, just not really take seriously some of the opportunities they've had or like not see the strengths or the skills that they've built in doing something as mundane as like babysitting their little brothers and sisters after school or like taking a job because they have to help contribute to the bills at home. Um, So we help them really understand the value in all of their experiences over the last, you know, three or four years. And then we lead them through a series of um, explorative exercises, journaling, um, you know, things that, where they start to put into really concise language, why it is that they do what they do. Um, I really love Simon Sinek and he has like a Ted talk about like, it's not what you do, it's why you do it. And every kid like watches that and starts to understand that we talk about like personal branding and how, you know, if Nike has a brand, you have a brand? Um, and like how to really think about your brand and how you want to communicate or articulate your brand. Um, And then we teach them life skills like networking. So how do you connect with key stakeholders at the universities that you're interested in? And how do you learn how to talk to adults over email and over the phone in a way that's like convincing and um, persuasive? Uh, And then we also teach them how to advocate for themselves. So how to request a letter of recommendation in a really empowering way where you are asking for the things that you know are going to support your application rather than uh, you know, just saying, Hey, can you write me a letter and like hoping that it's good. <laughs> and then, uh, and then obviously, you know, filling out the applications, writing the personal statements, there's, there's so many activities that go into that. Um, But again, I think at the end of the day, it's really helping students, asking the right questions to students because they have the answers inside of them already. And just um, being persistent in asking questions and and, uh, making them ask these questions of themselves so that they come to these uh, answers, it's not adults telling teenagers what they should be writing in their applications, it's more so them discovering what it is they want to highlight about themselves, what they love about themselves.
1: How do you intend to, I'm sure I'm sure you have a way, how do you intend to also attend Harvard
2: while running this company? I, thought, I was actually thinking about that <laughs> earlier. I was like, man, she's going to be busy. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: well, I have a lot of help. I have, you know, my team is awesome. They're amazing. A lot of our processes are automated. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a struggle. Like, nothing in my life is easy and, like, As soon as things like, as soon as I get to a place where I'm like, oh, okay, cool, I can do this, like I have this inner drive in me to attack on another challenge and just test my limits. Mm -hmm. So this might be the time where I, where I finally (laughs) test my limits and I realize I can't do it, which is, which is fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not afraid to fail, but I definitely want to try. I don't want to, I don't want to just like, give up and and if, if it doesn't if cq doesn't grow as quickly as i want it to or as i project it to that's fine with me as well because the work that i'm doing even if we're just reaching 100 students a year is still worth it to me um but but i do think that you know universities are great places for entrepreneurs because there are so many resources um available and and so much free access to stuff when you're a student as well so um i'm i definitely plan on taking advantage of those resources Nice.
1: Awesome. All right. So let's oh, actually, um, where can our listeners find SeekU, learn more about it, and uh, get in touch with you if they'd like to?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so our website is SeekU, uh, like SeekUniversity, S E E K U. Co. Uh, and I'm always available over email or LinkedIn. It's just Aubrielle at SeekU. Co. Or you can find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. I, I try to respond to everybody.
1: Awesome. All right, so let's let's bring this home and wrap up here. So our topic question today was, how does your identity impact your experience? We'll start with Victoria and we'll close with you, Abriel. Victoria, how does your identity impact your experience?
2: This is hard, but I mean, I think mean, it does impact your experience.
1: <laughs> it wasn't a yes or no question. <laughs> I, no. It was a how.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I just I, I think that when we I mean, we, we obviously all experience things differently because we walk through the world with different identities. That's the whole point of what we're talking about. So I think that one way you can start to see and experience things outside of your own identity is just to become aware, sort of like we were talking about, of, um, of the privileges and the advantages that you have, or maybe the privileges and advantages that other people have, um, and knowing that often it's... It's a systemic issue, right? So I think just trying to become really aware of, of I think the privileges that you have as you walk through life will help to gain new perspective as you walk into a different experience.
1: My answer, how does your identity impact your experience? Well, I think it's, I think experience is shaped by your identity and, what's really what really goes into that is the fact that yes there is how others see you and that's going to play a big role into it but the better you can see yourself the better others are going to see you and the better your experience will be and that kind of plays in a little bit to what you're doing with cq is helping these kids see themselves better so they can get greater results in the end every all but that's that's what i think it comes down to is um you know there are certain things you can't control but if you See yourself as the I'm just the horror rundown whatever, or I'm just the you know I'm just the kid who can't hack it whatever it might be. Other people are or you're not going to have a chance that other people see you as something more than that. Avrielle, how does your identity impact your experience?
0: Uh, this is a really broad question, but I like what both of you guys have already said, so I'm I'm definitely going to second that. Um, but I think for me personally it has given me a sense of responsibility and given me a sense of purpose in my life. I forget whose quote it is and maybe you guys can find it in post, but, um, there is, there's somebody who said something along the lines of the, the experience of black America is the conscience of America and, and how conscious, how conscious America is, uh, is, is directly related to how well African Americans are treated. And, um, and so I, I feel like my identity it draws me or calls me to help America be greater, like not in like a Trump sense, but like <laughs> really like, oh, help not in, <laughs> kind of not in not in a MAGA way at all, but like <laughs> h- really help America live up to its potential to really be a place where every person has equal opportunity to succeed and be great and fulfill on their human potential because we all benefit when that happens.
1: Avril Epps, King Avril, cultural lottery ticket winner. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad we could have a conversation that I think a lot of people are terrified to have and have so many laughs throughout it.
0: True, yes. <laughs>
1: Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun.
1: So, that wraps up our conversation with Avery L. Avery L. Thank you so so much for joining us. I absolutely loved not only being in the moment for that conversation, but then even now listening back to it in post production. Just so good. I know I'm gonna archive that one and listen to it a hundred times more in the future. Did you, the listener, enjoy the episode as much as I did? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show, and therefore more people get to discover their inner awesome. It only takes 20 seconds. We will be forever grateful if you could do so. While you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform it is you listen to, whether it is iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or the various other podcasting platforms in which this show is available. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as Avriel's contact information, you can grab it all at www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. And for this episode in particular, there's a ton of good references that we dropped in this episode, and they're all listed in the show notes, as well as the full-length clips that you heard samples of that we put into this episode. Guess what? While you're on our website, we have a nearly 100-episode archive of past episodes. Check them all out, because... You're going to need a little something here to catch you through this mini-break we are taking as we have now reached the finale of Season 7. Avril, thank you again for closing out the season, rounding out the season for us. We will be back in about a month. This is currently the end of August 2017. We'll be back in late September, early October 2017 with more awesome guests, more awesome topics, more awesome laughs and deep discussion, and just all-around more awesome Thank you again to Avriel Epps for joining us. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast for this season and for all of Season 7. We will see you next time when we kick off Season 8. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today.
0: We rising up, it's been long